0: Christmas Christmas, view. I know it starts to feel a little bit like this right now in December, doesn't it? You know, I mean, that's kind of the way I feel. Matter of fact, my uh, brother-in-law photoshopped me into one just like that. That's how I feel, okay? Uh, exactly like that. Thank you, Doug. Um, I, I know you probably don't know this, but preachers always look at the weekend forecast early in the week to know how hard to work on our sermons. I mean, this time of year we do, you know, so I'm looking and I'm thinking, Oh man, bummer. right, you know, I, I might as well just blow this one off because nobody's going to be here, but you're here, baby. Right. You're here. <laughs> who's, who, who's going to the bears game? Who's going to the bears game? I want to see hands. couple of you, a lady. Oh, okay. I was like, there's not gonna be any ladies at that game today. But you made it to church today, and that's what's really important. Uh, the question is, what are you looking forward to this Christmas? We got the tree, we got the decorations, we got all the story of Christmas and all that kind of stuff, and we're, look, we're all looking forward to different things along the way about Christmas time. But, but of course, when you come in here and you get out in this crazy weather and you come to this place on this day, you're expecting me to take you to the story, right? You, you, you want to you get back to the meaning and the reason for the birthday, and so, so I want to do that. But before I jump into it, I want to read you. Um, what it might've been like if the Christmas story was today and I want to just, I, I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take 2000 years out from between when it happened and when it is today. And I'm going to be preaching about that's what I'm preaching on this whole series. But what if the Christmas story was in the 21st century, the headline would read Nazareth Carpenter being held on charges involving underage mother. Authorities were today alerted by a concerned citizen who noticed a family living in a barn. Upon arrival, family protective service personnel accompanied by police took into protective care an infant child named Jesus who had been wrapped in strips of cloth and placed in a feeding trough by his 14-year-old mother, Mary of Nazareth. During the confrontation, a man identified as Joseph, also of Nazareth, attempted to stop the social workers. Joseph, aided by several local shepherds and some unidentified foreigners, tried to forestall efforts to take the child but were restrained by police. Also being held for questioning are three foreigners who alleged to be wise men from an eastern country. INS and Homeland Security officials are seeking information about these who may be in the country illegally. A source with INS states they had no passports, but were in possession of large amounts of gold and possibly other illegal substances. (laughs) They resisted arrest, saying they had been warned by God to avoid officials in Jerusalem and return quickly to their own country. The owner of the barn is also being held for questioning. The manager of the Bethlehem Inn faces possible revocation of his license for violating health and safety regulations. The location of the minor child will not be released, and the prospect for a quick resolution is doubtful. Joseph has admitted to taking Mary from her home in Nazareth because of a census requirement. However, because she was obviously pregnant when they left, investigators are looking into other reasons for their departure. Mary was taken into Bethlehem General Hospital, where she's being examined by doctors. Charges may also be filed against her for endangerment, and she will undergo psychiatric evaluation because of her claim that she is a virgin and the child is from God. I, I mean... Take the 2,000 years out between the two, and it's a reality check. It was a reality check for me to go back to the land. Uh, Denise and I recently been to the Holy Land, very first trip ever over there, and we've recently been over there, And, and what I wanted to do this Christmas time to kind of bring a different angle, a different light, was to talk about the locales and the people in the different locales that we were able to visit and how they interacted with the Christmas story. So I talked about Bethlehem last week, and I want to talk about Jerusalem today. Here's a video I shot while I was over there. Standing here at Caesarea in Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. So happens they have an amphitheater here. You know what I'm thinking? Parkview site. Who's in? I'm here at the site of Jerusalem, obviously Jerusalem behind me. Dome of the rocks in the middle of it uh, because it's a shrine for the Muslims. Obviously it's a big problem because they put it on top of where the temple used to be. The temple is there because that was where David had it set up in the very first uh, in the very first place. It's the city of Kings. Uh, in Jesus day, this was King Herod's area. He rebuilt the wall, helped the temple uh, get put back into place and, and, and built all the stuff. A lot of the stuff that you see behind me, because he was the big king. He thought he was the one that was supposed to be the most important. Uh, So much so that the only reason we remember Herod to this day is because he was the baby killer who tried to kill off the little king who became the king of kings. I mean, this is the city of kings. Um, The irony in the whole thing is that the reason that Herod was here, the reason that the temple was here, is because it's the city of David. Uh, what you see in Jerusalem now is about 750,000 people. Back in Jesus' day, it was 40 to 50,000 people. Um, in David's day, it was 1,200 people, about the size of our original campus at 183rd and Wolf Road, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, the reason King David set up his city there, the original king, is because this is actually going all the way back to Abraham, and the reason that the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians... All think this site is holy is because this is the site also where Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac in the very, very beginning. So the significance of sacrifice, the significance of the city of David, the significance of kingship, all these things going on. And while all this is going on, God sent his son to be born in a little town where David was from. Not the king, not the Jerusalem, not the Rome, not the important mighty things. Uh, but to a a little town in Bethlehem. So as I take a look at Jerusalem today, uh, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, five miles away. Um, But there were some reactions in Jerusalem to the birth of Jesus. And Jesus goes there for his dedication. I'll I'll show all you that in a minute. And and what I came up with was uh, the fact that there were three different reactions from people in Jerusalem to that very first Christmas. And I'm thinking maybe it relates to us. And so if you've been around here for a three-chair sermon before, I do that every once in a while. I've modified it a little bit to help tell the story of Jerusalem and how it interacted that very first Christmas. And, of course, we're going to start with the throne chair. There was one person in Jerusalem that was very, very important. His name was Herod. They actually called him Herod the Great. Do you know why they called him Herod the Great? Because he told them to. I'm not kidding. He was the Muhammad Ali of his day. I am the greatest, right? Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Remember that dude in the 80s, the boxer? Actually changed his name to Marvelous Marvin. That was his, that was his legal adopted name. If you were looking in, uh, you know, today's terms, who would it be, who, who, who would be, who would we talk about? I mean, it's LeBron, man. Come on. He wants to be called King James. I mean, that. this is what I'm talking about here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Mike Tyson, inducted into the Hall of Fame this week. My favorite Mike Tyson quote was, I know a lot of people have trouble with self-esteem. I don't have any problem with self-esteem. I happen to be totally in love with myself. I don't know if those guys all got punched too many times in the head or if there's something else going on. But but for Herod, for all of those people that think they're great This is the throne chair, okay? It's the throne chair. This is where I'm in control. I want everybody to call me the greatest. I want to be the guy that's in control. That's really what it boils down to, right? I got news of a church in another state that's falling apart this week, and the quote was, because the pastor is an egomaniac. And I thought, you know what? That's the problem. That's the chair of an egomaniac. Seriously, it's not a big deal, but I I know you're thinking about it, but I don't want you to call me Tim the Great. That would just not work. As a matter of fact, I mean, I make I make jokes, but as a matter of fact, I don't really like to be called Reverend Harlow, okay? I know some of you grew up in traditions or whatever that that was like a normal term for a pastor, you want to call them the reverend or whatever, Reverend Harlow. The truth of the matter is, I don't like that term, because reverend means holy, and to me, only God is holy, and as much as I try to grow in holiness, I'm really never going to be Reverend Harlow. You call me mediocre Harlow if you want to, that's fine, okay? Tim, the eh but not Tim the Great, okay? That's just not going to work because that's where the problem starts. When you start thinking that you sit in the throne and you're all that, that's where the problem starts. Herod the Great was ruler of the province for 40 years. He was not just an egomaniac. He was a paranoid egomaniac, okay? That's a dangerous combination. He killed two sons, some of his wives and his in-laws. My in-laws are visiting this week, so I get that, but, but you know... He he was all about the throne, right? He was all about the control. I want to be in control of my own life. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Herod is 70. Check this, okay? Herod is 70 years old. The average lifespan back in that day was 40. So if you put him in 21st century dog years, Herod is like over a hundred years old. And this is a baby. We know that Herod dies before Jesus ever makes it to kindergarten. There is no reason for him to be worried about a baby that might grow up to be king someday. Why is it a problem? Because when you sit on the throne chair, you want power and control. And nothing else makes any sense to you at all. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. We find out why in a minute. Verse 7, when Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Did you catch that? Let me read that again. Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. If only that was true. You know, if only that was true. We would be talking about what a great ruler Herod was and how we can't wait to meet him in heaven someday. But it was a lie. Magi are warned not to go back to Herod. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said, I know you've read this Christmas story many times, but... We just kind of skip over this. What was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This was genocide. Do you understand this? Uh, I mean, that's what was going on here. Rachel, you need a refresher on Rachel. Rachel's one of the matriarchs. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob married Rachel, and he loved Rachel so much that he worked seven years for her. And then on his wedding night, father-in-law slipped the other sister in, and so he ended up marrying Leah first, and then he married Rachel, but he loved Rachel. She was the mother of Joseph, the amazing technicolor dreamcoat guy, matriarch, very important person. She is buried right to this day. Her tomb is still there outside of the city of Bethlehem prophesied hundreds of years before this event that Rachel's land would be that she would be weeping for her children because they are no more. A prophecy very obviously about the very heinous thing that went on right here. One of the most gripping parts of our journey to Israel, if you ever get a chance to go, you can't miss the Holocaust Museum. I mean, we, we, can, we can try to forget that it happened, we, that people tried to pretend that it didn't happen, but you can't go into a Jewish place and not understand what happened to the Jews during Hitler's regime. You can't, you can't do that. And, and what was gripping for us, what was gripping for me was not about the stuff that I did know. I mean, I, I knew about the gas chambers and the death camps in Auschwitz and all of those things. I knew about those things. As a matter of fact, our our Jewish guide's mother and father were both in Auschwitz. They both had the mark. I mean, and mom's still around. I'm hoping that I get a chance to meet her next time. What, what was gripping to me was the was the treatment of the people in the slums. It was, it was Warsaw. It was when they, they put all the people off to the slums because they had video of these people. And they're walking around and they're stick people and they're starving on the street. And people are walking by, just like is going on in other parts of the world to this day. And I love that video we did, you know. That's what Jesus would have been about. I mean, this was going on as Jesus was born and it goes on to this day. And he wants us to do something about it. The full Christmas story, what I wanted you to see was the full Christmas story is not a silent night. It's not a quiet nativity scene. It is a lunatic ruler who sits on the throne. It's a fugitive family. And it's a pile of tombstones with the names of baby boys on them. But a human plot cannot stop a divine plan. Jesus was not killed, obviously. Because little kings can't stop the king of kings, okay? Never forget that. Many in our culture... ...are willing to add Jesus to their lives. I mean, what does this chair represent to us? I think the throne chair represents to us... ...obviously the people who want you to call them the greatest or marvelous or whatever. I mean, that makes sense. But, but how could this relate to us? You know what this chair scares me about with American Christianity what this chair scares me about is that a lot of people are willing to add Jesus to their repertoire. You know, they're out willing to call themselves a Christian. They're willing to say, okay, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, I, I got, I got the Jesus thing, but, but he's not going to run my life. I mean, you know, I still want to date who I want to date and I'm going to marry who I want to marry and I'm going to raise my kids the way I want to raise my kids and morality. You know, don't give me that 2000 year old book. I mean, I'm going to deal with my own morality. I'm going to run my finances the way I want to run my finances. Jesus is fine, but basically, you're still sitting on the throne here right you're like the two kids at walmart and mom put two brother and sister on the little quarter horse you know the thing you put the quarter in and you sit there you go up and down and it was with two kids on there is a little tight finally the little girl said if one of us would get off there'd be more room for me (laughs) right right That's what I'm talking about. That's the throne chair. That's, you know, I'm going to edge God out. I'm going to go over here. You're going to do this. Dave Stone said, do I really want a king? If I were honest, maybe, but I'm looking for more of a mascot or a good luck charm or a warm blanket, maybe even a savior. But I'm not sure I want a king. I'm not sure I want a lord because the truth be known, I really kind of like the throne. I mean, I'm sorry. I come back to this almost every Christmas, but one of the classic Christmas movies of all times is the Legend of Talladega Nights. The Legend of Ricky Bobby, you know? I mean, it's not really a Christmas movie, but that one line is so important. I'm praying to the baby Jesus. I like the little baby Jesus on his fluffy cloud. That's the Jesus I want to pray to. When it's your turn to pray, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want. That is sitting on the throne. My friends, that is I'm going to do it my way. That's my anthem. I'm going to do it my way. So where do you sit? If you were in Jerusalem, That first, that first Christmas, where would you sit? Would you be King Herod? The second chair is the chair of complacency. This is the religious leaders. The religious leaders are in Jerusalem. They know all of this stuff is going on. They know that, you know, the wise men have showed up. They oh man, I have got to find a way to preach from this chair every week. (laughs) From now on, every week is going to be a chair sermon. I just go back. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. This is the, this is exactly what this is the chair of. People who are religious, who have religion in their lives, but they're not really concerned about anything. They're complacent about it. The Jewish, the religious leaders didn't even want to get up and go five miles over to, to Bethlehem to find out if any of this was true. Because they were complacent. They missed the whole thing. It blows my mind. It's the reason dinosaurs are extinct. Did you know that? It's true. Oh, man, was that today? (laughs) That is funny right there. That is. Matthew 2, 4. When he, Herod, had called together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Why? Why? I mean, instantly, as soon as somebody says, hey, where's the king going to be born? Oh. 5 5 miles, okay? If you're standing on the uh, on the Temple mound, you can see Bethlehem. It's 5 miles. Why didn't the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law get up off their backside and walk five, take an hour and walk over to Bethlehem and see if anything was going on? They heard the scuttlebutt about the shepherds and what they had been saying that the wise men had come and said a star had led them. At some point, are you a little bit curious? Aren't you a little bit curious that you want to go over there and see if something really happened? But we all know that it's possible to be really, really religious and completely clueless, don't we? We all know that. It's possible to be sucked into the rituals and have no idea to go through the motions and and have all the... Oh man, we saw it so much in, in, especially in Jerusalem. Pilgrims who were going over and standing in line to touch a spot where Jesus might have been born, or or to touch the rock that Jesus might have been crucified on, and to go through all of that, and to miss the point that Jesus came to to be a to, to be a human because God wanted to be incarnate into the world and He wanted to have a relationship with us. And God doesn't need us to touch a rock where He might have been. He just needs us to ask Him into our hearts. And live with Him and walk with Him because He's not in Jerusalem. He's right here. He's in this room. He's here in your life. Man, I don't know how they missed it. Okay, but hold on. You clapped. You just set me up. Hold on. We think, well, if I was a religious leader back then, I would have dropped what I was doing, taken a personal day and, you know, gone to Bethlehem. Well, what about us? Are there some things that God's been asking? Is there, I mean, is there some is there some of this easy chair thing going on for you? I mean, some of you have made a spiritual commitment to to Christ, but you haven't walked thirty feet over to get baptized yet. Don't don't be don't be dissing them. And some of you said, you know what? I'm going to follow Christ. I'm not going to sit in the throne chair anymore. But but your finances, you know, you know how God wants you to do it, but you're just not really willing to go there yet. I mean, all of those things I just talked about your your personal life, whatever. And I, I, found myself, I found myself realizing, you know, as I was in Israel and I was in the Holy Land, I, I thought, you know, it would be cool to have been back here and to be here with Jesus. I mean, you just can't help but think that. Especially on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That was just unbelievable for me. And out in a fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee. And I wonder if I would have jumped out of the boat if Jesus said, hey, you can walk on water too. I wonder if I would have done that. I tried to do it. And, uh, you know, the officials wouldn't let me. But uh, I, that's not what Jesus asked me to do. I already know a whole bunch of stuff over here in Orland Park that Jesus did ask me to do. It's easy to miss the whole thing. One of my favorite Christmas illustrations is, is true because I've been to this museum in Kitty Hawk. If you've ever been to the Kitty Hawk Museum in North Carolina where, uh, you know, flight first happened, there's a there's a copy of the telegram that was sent from Kitty Hawk to Dayton, Ohio, where Orville and Wilbur Wright were from, to their sister. And the telegram read, first sustained flight in history, 59 seconds, stop. Hope to be home for the holidays, stop. Immediately she rushed the history breaking news to the editor of the newspaper. And the next week she looked, the next day she looked and there was nothing in there. And the next day she looked and there was nothing in there. And finally, the next day, buried in an under an article on page 15, is was a little heading that said, local bicycle merchants hope to be home for the holidays. <laughs> he missed the whole, I mean, one of the most important events in human history. He either didn't believe it or he completely missed it. Bada boom, bada bang. But There's one more chair. This chair, the one you're sitting in. And you're definitely sitting in it because you came to church in a blizzard and it's five below outside windshield. So you're sitting here. You should feel good. You're like, yeah, this is my chair. It's good. Who does this represent in Jerusalem the first day? A guy we don't talk about very much in the Christmas story. His name is Simeon. Simeon, verse 25 of Luke 2. You, you usually get to that part in the Christmas story. You're kind of like, okay, yeah, what up? Jesus was, he's dedicated. I'm done. But this is important. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Day in and day out. Simeon would go to the temple and he would serve. He was not a priest, okay? He was a righteous man. He was somebody who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the salvation of Israel. Why do I like Simeon so much? Here's why I like Simeon so much, okay? First of all, understand that Jesus came for the sick, okay? He came for the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the mediocres and the ant people. That's who Jesus came for. Please don't forget that. He came for the prodigals. He said, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. If you're here today and you're sick, welcome to Parkview Hospital. That's what we call this place. Okay, that's really, really important. But the problem is you can't stay sick. Okay, you shouldn't stay sick. You should get better and we want to help you get better and we want to help you to grow Discipleship was one of those purposes that we had in the 40 days that we just went through, right? We want to be more like Christ. Here's the problem when a lot of people become like Christ they become they become kind of condescending to other people and kind of self-confident in their own spirituality The problem is, once a prodigal son comes to Christ, a lot of times he goes all the way over and becomes the older brother. And most of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were Pharisees. They were the people who would stand in the temple and pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like that lowly tax collector who's praying down on his knees right now. I thank you that I'm holy and righteous and I'm Tim the Great and I'm Reverend Harlow and blah, blah, blah. Okay? Right? But Simeon, this is why I love Simeon, Simeon was righteous righteous. And he knew he needed a Savior. Now here's the deal. The more righteous you become, the more you should actually know you do need a Savior. Because what happens is the more you get to know God and who God is and the more you study God, the more you realize that God is just farther and farther and farther above you than you could ever be. The spiritual growth should go something like this. God is here, I am here, and I need salvation. And now I'm going to study His Word and I'm going to grow and I'm going to become a disciple. And what happens along the way is the more I learn about God, the farther away that ideal ever gets for me. And the more I realize I need a Savior. And that's exactly what happened Simeon. That's why I love him. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him, Simeon, from the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. Okay. So moved by the spirit, he would go into the temple courts every day. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, what is the custom of the law to to do the dedication, Simeon took him in his arms. I mean, can you imagine a scene? I think maybe he got up on a rock and went like this, or maybe that was a movie, but, but Can you imagine what was going on in Simeon's heart as he sees this baby and he jumps around and he started praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in in peace. Kill me now for my eyes have seen your salvation. I mean, imagine you're at the scene, you're in the temple in Jerusalem and there's this old guy with a baby dancing around going, I can die, I can die. You're going to call 911 or get the pepper spray or something, right? I mean, I get that. But that's how excited this righteous guy. I love this. He's a righteous guy and he knows he needs the salvation. He knows he needs the Messiah. That's phenomenal. And the word Jesus means the one who saves. I mean, please don't miss how he tied Jesus in as the Messiah from the very, very beginning. Salvation. Three kings bring myrrh, which is to bury him with, right? All of these things are going on. Simeon was committed to a king and he was ready to live or die whatever the king wanted can i can I just remind you what a king does in your life the king calls the shots there's no discussion over whether to obey him there's no opportunity for advancement you never get any higher in the kingdom when you when you sign up to submit to a king i'm not, I'm not talking about a boss i'm not talking about a president i'm talking about a king I'm talking about the king of kings okay his prerogative is the only thing that matters It is the plan that God gave through the ages. Last week I read a prophecy from Daniel as I was talking about... Bethlehem. And, I, and, 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 I want to, there's another one in here today. Nebuchadnezzar is the great King back in Daniel's day, way, way back before Jesus. And, and Daniel is like the dream interpreter guy, kind of like Joseph. And, and Daniel is this wise guy. And Nebuchadnezzar comes to him with a dream one day. And he says, I had this dream and there's a statue and, and different limbs were made out of different metals. And, and how, what does this thing all mean? And Daniel said, Oh, that's, that's really easy. What this means is your kingdom is going to be taken over by this kingdom. And this kingdom is going to be taken over by this kingdom. And it's going to be taken over by this kingdom and then he gets to chapter 2 verse 44 and Daniel says in the time of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it ever be left to another people it will crush all of those kingdoms and bring them to an end but it itself will endure forever and he shall reign forever and ever hallelujah hallelujah The truth is, people, everybody is going to sit in that chair sometime. Everybody is going to submit to the king sometime. Paul said, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday, everything else gets done. It's over and God comes down and everybody will realize. The beautiful thing is, We get the opportunity to follow Jesus into heaven someday by saying right now, I want you to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords in my life. So what are you going to do with your Jerusalem this Christmas? Which chair are you going to sit in? Be careful how you answer that, okay? I'm not just asking you if you need a Savior, okay? Remember that? I'm asking you if you're willing to have a Lord and a savior because jesus came not only to be a different kind of a king but to have a different kind of kingdom i was with my friend osmani this week osmani is our missionary guy in cuba and um it's fun to be just a picture of him and his family. Osmani was a Cuban national baseball player, very famous Hall of Famer in Cuba. Okay, you, you got to understand, I know you haven't heard about it for a while, but he is still communist. We don't know if Castro is still around, but he's still in power one way or another. And Osmani 12 years ago came to Christ and 10 years ago he got hooked up with a ministry in the United States down in, uh, down in Florida and uh, we've been working with it. This is the one that Braden Looper was telling you about on the video a couple of weeks ago. Our baseball player was telling you about how he got involved in this ministry ministry and this is his new mission. Well, that's Osmani. And when I was with Osmani, I was thinking, you know what? That's the beautiful contrast that I'm talking about. That's a new king in a new kingdom. Because in, in, in Cuba, Castro is king. Castro says, I want you to call me Castro the Great, right? I am the dictator. I am communist. But, but, but as Osmani came along, he started submitting to a different king. And it's not easy. It's not difficult. He doesn't live in a nice house. Things are hard for him. And yet at the same time, Thousands of people are coming to the Lord because He's sitting in this chair. I love this guy. Uh, and right now some things have changed over there and and Cuban nationals have been are being allowed to buy property for the first time since nineteen fifty nine. They're being allowed to buy property. And so for a thousand dollars, we can go in have a local pastor. They've already got a bunch of them trained and ready to go. We can, we can, for a thousand dollars a year, we can give a local pastor a, a place to live. He can buy a piece of property and start a house church. And my goal is to get our, our small groups to adopt house churches in Cuba. Would it be cool for your small group to know that you not only had a small group, but you are also taking care of a house church in Cuba? I'm not ready for it yet. Well, we're going to tell you about it, but I'm just excited. That's what happens when you submit to a different king and you decide to start a different kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. When Pilate nailed him down and said, hey, are you a king? Jesus said, yes, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world, and it's not like this world, and that's good. Because Herod's stuff, Herod's kingdom, I walked all over it. I walked all over Masada. I walked all over places that Herod built. And the truth of the matter is there are some, a few relics and a few walls that you can still see that Herod built, but for the most part all the stuff that Herod built his big palace, the Masada, all the things at Caesarea, all the things that Herod built, they're all crumbled down and they've all crumbled down and been built on 20 different times since Herod's day. And it's gone. But the kingdom that Jesus came to build is going on forever. Forever and ever. Go and make a careful search for the child, my friends. This is my admonition for you today. Go and make a careful search search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may to go and worship him. Dave Stone uh, is a pastor friend down in Kentucky. He comes in and preaches here. You guys know who Dave is. I got this idea for the sermon from him. Um, he was. I also got the idea to go to Jerusalem from him to go to Israel. I went with the same. We went with the same tour group that he went with, and. Um, Interesting story that happened to them when they were there, they took a group of people over in June and a week before they were to go over there, Beth, Dave's wife's father, was diagnosed with cancer. She'd already lost her mom um, at too young of an age. And now her dad was diagnosed with cancer. And so they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, what should we do? Well, everybody said, well, we don't know what kind it is and on how aggressive it is. You know, it should be no problem. You guys should just go. So they go on this trip with a bunch of people from the church to the Holy Land. And the next day... They get a phone call. Hey, Beth, your dad's in the hospital. Uh, I mean, he's re- really not doing well. You might want to try to get back. So it's the Sabbath. They try to get flights back. There's no flights out of Israel on the Sabbath. And they couldn't find a way to get back. So they spent the night. And the next day, uh, they're trying to figure out what to do. And, and they get a text. And they find out at 4.15 that morning he had died. And they're in Jerusalem with 150 people on on a trip. Dave wrote it this way. He said, here we were 6,000 miles away from the ones we loved, and it was one of the most helpless moments of our lives. In 25 years of ministry, never had I heard of someone going downhill so quickly. We just thought that we'd be home before his first treatment. Ten hours after, after hours after making phone calls, the reality set in that the next possible standby flight wasn't for another 10 hours. So Beth and I decided that rather than going back to the hotel and just crying, it would be more therapeutic for us to continue to see the sights of Jerusalem. So we did. And somehow, providentially, several hours later, that afternoon, we visited two familiar places. The first one was called Golgotha, the place of the skull, the area where Jesus was crucified. And we stared at a mountain that looked like a skull, and we prayed together. And from there, we walked for a few minutes over to an area known as the empty tomb. The garden tomb. It's a tomb on a hillside that dates back to the first century. And we stared at that mountain graveyard. And then we quietly walked inside the tomb. And we looked around and walked out of it. Just as Christ had done before. I mean it's probably not the exact place where Jesus was laid to rest. But it didn't matter. It was what it represented for us. Remembering the resurrection. Has a way of helping us. My wife walked out with tears. Of sadness yes. But tears of victory. We remembered that. We do not grieve as men who have no hope, what the Apostle Paul said. And as we left, Beth said to me, well, I guess if I can't be home, then this is where God knew I needed to be. And we can relate to that. I mean, Denise could not stop crying when we were at this spot. I mean, just to think, again, it might not have been the right one, but to see that mountain that Jesus might have been crucified on and to to be in that tomb that might have been the tomb that he walked out of was unbelievable. She said, I guess this is where God knew I needed to be. And Dave said, I said to her, think of it this way. Today, while you're experiencing the old Jerusalem, your dad is in heaven experiencing the new Jerusalem. Unbelievable idea. Revelations 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God, now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. Listen, my friends. Your... Entry into the New Jerusalem depends on what you do with the Old Jerusalem. depends on what chair you sit in. It depends on what you do with your life. It depends on you submitting to the King of Kings right now. So on that first Christmas in that city, in Old Jerusalem, the people reacted one of three ways to the Christmas story. You can be like Herod and abhor him and, and say, I'm going to be on the throne. You could be like the religious leaders and ignore him. And say, you know what, it doesn't matter, I don't need it. Or you can be like Simeon and you can adore him. My prayer for you would be that you do one simple thing. Go and make a careful search for the child. And when you find him, worship him. only one God who gave up his son for you there's only one king that would come down only one Lord that would leave his throne to come down that far to be here for us so we have but one reaction we could give you're already sitting in the right chair but it's got to come from in here I don't know why you're here I don't know what made you decide to get out of bed and dig your car out and, and come here on this crazy day, and I know, I know the soldier field will be full with crazy people who are going to sit outside in the cold because they they believe in something. So I'm guessing that somehow, way, you came here because you believe in something. You followed some kind of a star to get here to this place today. What are you going to do with it? That's the question. This would be a great time as we take communion right now for you to decide in your heart to sit in the chair that your body is sitting in right now. Let's pray. God, I pray that if there are people who, uh, who wandered in here um, as prodigals, that they will feel you and find you and realize that this is a hospital and that you came for the sick and that, that they're welcome here. And if there are people that came in as older brothers, I pray that you'll help them to understand that this is a place where we all have to come to grips with the fact that Simeon or the woman caught in the act of adultery, we all need a savior because we live here on this earth and we're sinners and all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I hope that you can help us to understand, Lord, right now that we all we need to do is open up our hearts. All we need to do is invite you in and follow you and submit to you and let you be Lord and savior of our life let you be the king maybe there are people right here lord that need to pray that they need to open up their hearts and say jesus right now december 12 2010 i make my stand i make it i make a commitment i ask you to come in and forgive me for my sins i accept you as my lord and my savior lord maybe there's another commitment, maybe there are other things that people need to do in this in this room today, other ways that they need to follow you. I pray that you'll help us to follow you on this chair, to follow you on this journey and to help build your kingdom, the one that you came to establish, help us like Osmani to build your kingdom in a way that it will never end. Thank you for this story, thank you for this time and Jesus thank you for coming and not only being a baby, but growing up and allowing yourself to be crucified and sacrificed for my sins. Allowing yourself to be buried with that myrrh that the wise men brought to you as a strange baby gift. And then busting open the door and coming out victorious over death so that we know that all who believe will not perish but have everlasting life. Be with us this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.